and then make your way to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be resuming where we left off last week here as we started this study uh, in the book of Colossians last Sunday here. And Paul, last week here, as we got to the first eight verses, Paul was uh, really just expressing his, his appreciation, his thanks for the church, and really the praise of the church and just, you know, extolling them and, and, and encouraging them in the great things that have been going on in their church. So last week, focusing on the praise of the church, but now today, we focus in verses 9 to 14 on the prayer now for the church. Paul went from, you know, kind of encouraging them to being moved to pray for them. And I think this is so awesome about a guy like Paul. Paul is a guy that I think, not only was he just a dynamic speaker was he just this adventure going out in all places and bringing the good news at times where he's at a real risk to his life Paul was this guy that was just I think ready to go for it at all costs but he's also a guy that was very foundational in prayer I think Paul saw prayer as such an important part of his life and a necessary part now of ministry and I think it's important for us as we kind of talk about prayer that we see the importance and the value that we need to be people that are so dependent on prayer. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the church has many organizers but few agonizers, many who pay but few who pray, <clears throat> many resters but few wrestlers, many who are enterprising but few who are interceding. People who are not praying and praying. The secret of praying is praying in secret. Ties may build the church, or sorry, a worldly Christian will stop praying and a praying Christian will stop worldliness. Ties may build the church, but tears will give it life. That is the difference between the modern church and the early church. In the matter of effective praying, never have so many left so much to so few. Brethren, let us pray, he says. Those are great words that I think... <laughs> Maybe a little convicting, but I pray are rather encouraging for us to see the part that we all play in prayer and how this needs to be so foundational in our lives. And I think what Paul saw so much of the value of was not just praying in order to get things done or to see things happen as you would like them to happen, like the little child that was praying to God for a new bicycle and he's yelling out, God, I pray that you would give me this new bicycle for Christmas. And his mother's saying, honey, you don't need to pray so loud. God's not deaf. I said, I know, but, but grandma's a little bit deaf. And so he's kind of praying with an ulterior motive there. <clears throat> and sometimes we can easily think of that with prayers. Like, well, is God really hearing? Is this just kind of something that we need to do as a religious duty? But I think what Paul saw is the blessing of just communing with God. I think Paul is a man that saw, I wanna be a person of prayer because I know it's gonna be through God that all things happen, but ultimately, it just gives us opportunity to be with God. I think that's why God invites us into prayer, it's just to simply commune with him. It's to spend time just enjoying him and hearing from him and communing with him and growing in relationship with God. I mean, look at how Paul starts this here in verse nine. For, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual 
understanding. So Paul says for this reason, now what reason exactly? Well, it's what he's just been talking about in the first beginning of this chapter in verses one to eight where Paul's been going over. And remember, Paul hasn't been to Colossus before. He doesn't know these people, but he gets this report from Epaphras who comes and visits Paul while Paul's in prison, house arrest in Rome. And he hears this great report of these people in Colossus that have come to know Jesus. A church has been, been founded. And Paul's rejoicing in these things because he's heard of their faith, verse four. He's heard that they have a love for all the saints. He's heard, as verse five says, that they have a hope of heaven now. He sees that they are fruitful now. They're bringing forth fruit in verse six. Verse eight, he says that they have a genuine love in the spirit. So Paul's hearing all these things. I love this. And he's just so ecstatic and thankful. He's not sitting here going, you know, while under house arrest. Well, that's great, God, that you're doing all that for them. But look at me. How come, how come nobody's praying for me? Like he could have been looking at this going, why aren't these people now doing more to get me out of here? No, Paul moves to just prayer and thanks now because of all that he's seen God doing in others. I think it's so important that we are people that can learn just the blessing of praying for others. You know, when we begin to pray for others, it tends to get our focus off of ourselves you know that oftentimes is the root of so much of our misery and discomfort is that we get so self-absorbed we get so focused on our problems and ourselves instead of looking broader and seeing what's really going on seeing what god is doing but also just coming alongside others in prayer and lifting them up and and wanting to see them encouraged and blessed and how important that is for us to do that so paul is praying, he's thankful, he's saying for this reason now, we do not cease to pray for you. And that's pretty remarkable, right? You know, we talked a bit about that last week, this idea of praying without ceasing. We can hear that, we can read that in scripture and think, wait a second, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Maybe a guy like Paul, who's stuck under house arrest in prison, this guy's got time to be praying without ceasing, but me, I've got stuff to do, I'm busy, I've got activities, I've got errands, I've got family to care for, I've got a job. We think, how can I pray without ceasing? But again, Paul, I think, is just in this mode of going, I get to just enjoy constant communion with God in whatever I'm doing, wherever I am. God's presence is with me. I have an open access to that throne room of grace where I'll find uh, that ever-present help in time of need. And so Paul understands this very vital truth that God is with me and that I have an open door of communication to commune with God and to pray. I, I hope that we see our lives that way and that we live our days that way, that whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, however busy we might feel, that we're able just to commune with God and call out to Him and talk with Him and share our burdens our struggles, but to, but to also thank him and rejoice in him for all that he is and all that he's doing. That's what it is to just pray. Let's see, I think Paul has seen that. And, and no doubt, I mean, he's got probably a lot of people he's praying for. It's not that he's, he's praying for these people specifically 24-7, but there's just this ongoing communication with God and lifting people up in prayer. I think that's so wonderful to be able to live life that way. What a blessing it is it is to do so. And, and notice there, he says, since the day we heard it, <clears throat> for this reason, he's saying, we haven't ceased to pray for you since the day we heard, again, about all that God's been doing in their lives. 
I, I think that's also so valuable is to be sharing with people the great things God is doing. You know, Paul wouldn't have known anything about this if Epaphras didn't come and, and take time to share with Paul about these things. Maybe Epaphras could have thought, you know, Paul's a busy guy. He's got a lot on his plate. I don't wanna, I don't wanna trouble him with anything more. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna get into this. I'm sure he gets a lot of people coming and saying all these things. And, but Epaphras says, man, I wanna share with Paul. I wanna, I wanna encourage him. And look at this. Paul, <clears throat> I think, is just filled with great strength and joy to see what God is doing. Paul understood that, that God was at work and he's giving praise to that. And that's why Paul was ultimately living his life. We'll talk a bit about that coming up here. So we need to be those that are sharing with others the great things God is doing. You know, pass on your testimony. Be, be open with people about what, let's, let's keep Jesus the center, you know, of our conversations and share with others the great things God is doing. And, and don't feel like, oh man, that's gonna trouble. Maybe they don't wanna hear it right now. And we need to share those things so that others can be encouraged and ultimately God can be praised. And here these things are now being recorded down in scripture for us here. Now, as we look at what Paul is praying for, we're gonna really get into the, the meat of this prayer here. But you're gonna notice something here. Paul's not praying for material or physical blessings, right? As oftentimes that becomes really the center of our prayers. Lord, do this, do that for that person make this person well, do this. Paul's not praying for material or physical blessings. He's praying for their spiritual condition. Look at what we're gonna see as we go through this, and you're gonna see that very clearly. So Paul's, you know, verse nine, he's not praying for thrills. He's praying that they might know God's will. He's not praying for them to walk safely in verse 10. He's praying for them to walk worthy. Not praying for fluff, but for fruit. Not for an increase in income, but an increase in insight. He's praying not for prosperity, but for power in verse 11. Not for an escape, but for endurance. He's praying not for more toys, but for more joys for them. This is the center of really what Paul is praying here. It's a spiritual condition he's wanting to see develop and grow in the lives of the believers there at Colossus. It's a great prayer. If you're wondering, how can I pray for others around me? I don't know what they're going through. Man, you can just open up Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14, and pray this prayer for one another. I would love people to be praying for me over these things here. I will take that any day, and this is what's going to ultimately strengthen people. So he says, first of all, that you may be filled there, middle of verse 9, may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, Remember, Paul has been dealing with this false teaching that's been coming into the Colossian church. If you weren't with us last week when we kind of talked about sort of the, the context of this letter being written here, there's this heresy that's coming into the church, uh, this Colossian um, heresy that became later really the, the root of Gnosticism where there was this kind of you know, elite sort of level of knowledge a person could attain to that would get them closer to God. And it, and it produced a real spiritual prideness in people here, thinking like, well, I've attained to this secret kind of knowledge now. And, and so Paul is confronting that a lot in this letter. The first chapter, though, is just him wanting to kind of build up the church. And he's praying, I, I, I trust and pray. You're gonna be filled with the knowledge of his will, not, not a secret kind of will, not some mystic kind of understanding, but just the knowledge of his will that they would be in line 
with what Jesus simply taught. So Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will, that, that they wouldn't circumvent truth, but rather understand what God desires of them. Now that, for some of us, like we talked about last week, can be a, a difficult thing. What does God desire of me? What am I to do? You know, what job should I take? What person should I marry? Where should I live? And we might stress over all these things, wondering what's God's will for my life? And I think very more, more so, God is just looking to see you living for Jesus and being a reflection of him in this world, living as, uh, as that light of Jesus in this world. That's what he ultimately desires of you. And you may know him, then you might be that witness of him. And, and so he says, I, I believe God's heart is like, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, may you simply live for me to honor me and to be a witness of me. Now we have some, some verses in scripture. There's, there's not a lot. And again, like we sometimes really wrestle over this, but when you look at what scripture shows us, again, it's that God's just more concerned with who you are rather than what you're doing. You know, 1 Thessalonians here, chapter four, verse three says, but this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, a man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, these are all things that are more about your attitude and how you're living. Your sanctification is simply being set apart for the Lord. Continue to grow and become more like Christ, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus desires of you. That's the Lord's will for you, your sanctification. And that you'd give thanks in all things. You'd have that right attitude that again reflects a, a new creation. That you would do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Those are a few samples that we have in scripture that really begin to narrow down specifically the will of God. But again, it's more about that attitude and more about who you are and how you're living rather than what you're doing. Now, here's what else... Paul prays here that he may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, we may know God's will, but it doesn't always mean that it's going to be understood for us, right? We can really battle through God's will. When he begins to direct our lives, maybe when he begins to make something kind of very clear to us, we might really question that. Maybe it's God's will that you be let go from a certain job that you have. Or it's, it's God's will that you might spend time in the hospital over something. We might hear those things up front and think, wait a second, no, I gotta fight this, I gotta resist this. This cannot be God's will for my life. It doesn't make sense to me. We can struggle over those things, but Paul prays, I, I, I trust that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might know how this is supposed to put and, and trust the Lord in these things. See, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know, if God were to lay out from beginning to end everything that was gonna happen in our lives and what would ultimately be his will, I think we would be like running and hiding in a cave somewhere. We'd be like, no way! You can't let that happen to me, God! This doesn't look good or profitable. This doesn't make sense to me. I think we'd fight it. 
But yet when we come to a place of knowing, okay, God, give me understanding in these things. Help me to see, Lord, that your will is always good. And your will is always that which is gonna be a blessing for me. Help me to receive this. Help me to know how to handle these things. Help me to function and operate in a Christ-like way in and through these things. That's what Paul is, is ultimately praying for. And he says in verse 10, also that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing now in the knowledge of God. So again, walking worthy of the Lord. That's really, again, what the Lord would just simply love of us. Now we, we read that, we go, walk worthy of the Lord. Well, that's, what does that look like? How do I do that? What does that entail? What does that involve? Walk worthy of the Lord. Well, that word worthy is a Greek word, axios, which simply means to to weigh or balance. It's to have the weight of another. In other words, it's like Paul is saying, is your life measuring up to the value of Jesus Christ? And again, we look at that, look at that and go, that's a tall order. That seems like a very difficult thing. But you see what Paul's saying? There needs to be a balance. There needs to be a level of balance between what our lives reflect and what Jesus is like. Is our life reflecting Jesus? Is it making much of Jesus? Is it walking worthy of the Lord? Is it, is it balancing out in what we profess to be and how we're actually living? You see, if you were to hop on a Facebook and see my recent you know, Facebook profile picture is a recent mugshot that I got when the cops picked me up for public intoxication at a playground where I was picking fights with fifth graders. You would look at that and think, well, at least he's picking on somebody's own size. Uh, but then you would, also, you would also probably say, this isn't lining up. This isn't balancing out with that of a pastor, let alone a Christian. There's something off here, right? That's how you should respond to that. You're going, this, this isn't lining up. It's not just, oh, that Brent, he's so, so. No, you'd be going, this isn't balancing out. This isn't walking worthy of the Lord. And here's the situation where there's compromise and contradiction, there's confusion in conviction. Where there's compromise and contradiction, there's confusion and conviction. The world sees that and they go, why do I need Jesus then if this pastor or this Christian is living this way? If Jesus is all that and there's no difference in what I see there than what I see in the world, why, why do I need Jesus? See, it's just not walking worthy of the Lord. That's what what we're called to do. That's what Paul called us to in Ephesians, that you might walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. We've been called to this new life in Christ. Are you walking worthy of that? And walking worthy of the Lord then means that we're also fully pleasing him. That's what Paul prays for. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, but also be fully pleasing him. And that should be reason enough for us to say, I wanna walk worthy because I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. And I gotta say, it's a whole lot easier to live life in a way that's kind of pleasing me. That can be the focus often, can't it? Where we want things to be centered around what I want, what's pleasing and comfortable to me. But here's the problem, that, that, that's nowhere near as beneficial or satisfying as living to please God. Why so? Because we were created, I believe, to bring pleasure 
and glory to God. In fact, I love what Revelation 4.11 says. In the, in the King James Version, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I believe we were created, our very lives exist for the purpose of bringing pleasure and glory to God, but we also exist to experience the pleasure of God forever. And I believe when we are living in a manner, walking worthy of the Lord, designed to fully please Him, to live in a way where we're bringing glory and pleasure to God, that's where we're gonna be most satisfied and most content and experiencing that pleasure of God because we're living the very fulfillment of what we've been created for, to bring glory to God. You, you, you won't lose out when you live with that kind of focus and that kind of heart. I wanna please you, God. I wanna walk worthy. And when I do that, man, I'm gonna experience the, the blessing, the satisfaction of the Lord. McDonald said this, here we have a very important lesson on the subject of guidance. God does not reveal his will to us in order to satisfy our curiosity, neither is it intended to cater to our ambition or pride. Rather, the Lord shows us his will for our lives in order that we might please him in all that we do. And when our goal is his pleasure, then we're going to be very fruitful in what we do. Because our work will bear fruit when our aim is to fully please God. And then he goes on to say, that you might increase in the knowledge of God. The end of verse 10. That you might increase in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God is something that we should all be desiring day by day. To just grow in the Lord. Sometimes we can get into this, in this kind of thinking where it's like, man, I've been a Christian like 10, 15 years. I've read the Bible from beginning to end, like at least, you know, once. And man, I'm just so like spiritually up there and I pretty much know it all. I know God, it's all good. I don't need, I don't need to keep, you know, working on that or focusing on that or increasing that. It's all good. I've kind of arrived. We, we can kind of start to think that way at times. But here's the thing, man. I don't, I don't care how long... Uh, You've been a Christian and how many times you've read the Bible from cover to cover? We're still just beginning. And the more that we press in and the more that we seek to grow in the Lord and increase in the knowledge of God, the more that you're gonna discover. We can just keep mining and digging and you're never gonna come up empty when it comes to who God is and, and, and going through the word of God. I love it. I, there's still things that I'm, I'm reading through you know, and I've been through the word of God like once, beginning to end. <laughs> There's still things, man, that I, I look at God's word. And I'm like, wow, that is so awesome, God. And it just, man, it just hits you sometimes in, in ways that we didn't pick up before. And we just continue to discover the greatness of God. Keep digging, you're, you're gonna keep finding treasure and being blown away by the greatness and the majesty of God. I think even for all of eternity, I mean, we're never gonna arrive this side of eternity, right? We'll always have room to grow this side of eternity, but I think even in eternity, we're gonna keep seeing the beauty and the grandeur of God displayed for us. I just think it's gonna be so amazing. So may we keep increasing the knowledge of God. And verse 11, strengthened with all might 
according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering for joy or with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, when you grow in the knowledge of God, guess what the wonderful byproduct of that is gonna be? You're gonna be strengthened with all might. Now, we like to think, oh, it's okay, I've got this, you know. Uh, I can handle these things. Been a Christian a long time. I, I, can, I can persevere. I can weather the storms of life. I can just keep pressing on because, you know, I'm strong. I can really handle this. But notice Paul says that you might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious might. If you're trusting in your own might and strength, you're gonna always come up short. Paul says, I, I don't want you to grow in your own might. I want you to grow in strength according to his glorious power. I'm so glad for that because he strengthens us in a way that is beyond us and it's outside of our own ability. If you're trusting in your own ability and strength and resources to be able to continue on, then you're gonna falter. You're gonna come up short, as I said. We need his might, we need his power because we're gonna be tested. We're gonna be tested, we need to be strengthened in all, as Paul says there, in all patience and long-suffering and joy at the end of verse 11. We're gonna go through difficulties in this world. And if you're relying on your own might, you're gonna get knocked around. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. We need to trust him. We need to hold on him, we need to be strengthened in him. Now we, we hear that and we think, okay God, you've overcome the world, but how come we don't see the world like overcome right now? Like, feels like it's overcoming us a lot. Like, what is going on? Lord, when is this, when is this gonna take place? When is this gonna happen? Well, what did Paul say? That you might be strengthened for all patience and long-suffering. Paul says, yeah, we're gonna go through difficulties and trials, but I pray that you might be strengthened according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. As believers, we recognize that this world is being led along by the enemy but Jesus has conquered him. And one day we're gonna see that realized and in full. That's the hope that we have so that now we can continue on in patience and long suffering, knowing that this world is not our hope, that the difficulties we see are only temporal. We know what's coming. We know what we have to look forward to and a hope in. And look at what Paul reveals that for us here in verse, verse 12. He says, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I love that. I remember growing up in Richmond, going to Lansdowne Mall, hitting Lord Nelson Arcade. Anybody ever been to Lansdowne Mall, Lord Nelson Arcade back in the day? All right, just seeing if there's anybody. All right, my favorite game, one of my favorite games, well, it was Galaga. Any Galaga players here? With me? Okay. Another game that I love to play when I take a break from Galaga was pole position. Pole position, anybody? 
few of you? Yes, pole position. And you drop that quarter in and what do you hear? Prepare to qualify. So you'd have to run this race, right? And you'd step on that gas and you'd be whipping around this track to try to get a certain time so that you could then move on into the next race where you compete with other cars and stuff. Man, I love that game. But we sometimes look at our life in this world as this prepared to qualify stage. Like we're moving through thinking we've got to earn our way now. We've got to be able to qualify ourselves to get to heaven. And when we do, there's no hope. There's no there's no joy, there's no blessing in that. But notice what Paul says. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Not who will maybe qualify you or who is trying to qualify you. No, he says that our Father has qualified us. Has, past tense, in and through Jesus Christ. So we know that now we can be partakers of the inheritance because it's not us trying to qualify us or earn our way in it's what god has done through his son jesus christ who qualifies us so that we can now be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light that is a glorious future we have to look forward to which enables us now with all patience and long suffering to move through this world though we might go through trials and tribulations paul is praying be strengthened in that be, be strengthened with patience and long suffering because you know where you're going. You've been qualified to be partakers of the inheritance. You know, a person gets an inheritance just because they're children. My kids are gonna receive an inheritance just because they're my kids. And, and here's the thing, that inheritance doesn't adjust based on their performance. I mean, I haven't told them that yet. I let them know, like, you guys, <laughs> if, you, if you wanna do well, you know, gotta, gotta work for it. So don't, don't let them in on the secret. But, but that inheritance isn't gonna change based on how they do. It's theirs because they're my children. And we become, through faith in Jesus, children of God. Children of God. We become inheritors, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's a glorious truth and reality for us here. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So Paul just keeps unlayering all these fabulous truths for us. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. See, we've been delivered because we needed it. We were once walking according to the course of this world. Ephesians chapter two, verse one and three says that we were under the sway of the wicked one and Jesus was sent on a great rescue mission to deliver us from the grip of the enemy and from the power of darkness to be conveyed now into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's a great description of Jesus, the one whom he loves and now we've been accepted in the beloved. We've been transferred from darkness into the kingdom now of his son. Sometimes we fail to appreciate just the greatness of that because we didn't, we oftentimes don't see ourselves as those that needed deliverance. We think, well, you know what? I wasn't so bad. I was just cruising through life. Things were good. I wasn't doing anything too bad. I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll just kind of add Jesus to my life and give this a try. Should be good. 
And we, we failed to comprehend that I was a wretched sinner, that I was dead in sin. I was under the pull of Satan and I needed rescuing. I needed deliverance. Every single one of us were in that category. And guess what? Paul says here, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Praise the Lord for that. And he's conveyed us in the kingdom of the son of his love. That idea of conveyed is that idea of, again, transferring. It's like when a kingdom conquered another, they would, they would convey or transfer the population of the defeated kingdom into that of the conquering kingdom. We've been transferred from the realm of the enemy, the place of death, to now be placed in the realm of Christ and receive that light and love in the Son. Paul said at the beginning of verse 12 that we should give thanks. I don't know if you've come in here today with an attitude of gratitude where you've been thankful, but I pray that that attitude is changing as you've looked at the great and incredible things that we've experienced in and through Jesus, that Paul is praying that this church would recognize and know and continue to grow in, and I pray that we're seeing these now appropriated to us. We're seeing the application for us. We're seeing the need for these things and that we're growing and exuding thanks now to God. And it just keeps getting better. As Paul says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption. That's a great thing to comprehend as well. See, there's three Greek words that are used in scripture for that one word redemption that we have in our English language. Three different Greek words that are used. There is the Greek word agorazo, which means to buy at the marketplace. There's the Greek word exagorazo, means to buy out of the market. It means to take goods out of the marketplace and never to sell them again, but rather to keep them for one's own use. And then we have the Greek word used in Colossians 1.14, which is apolutrosis. Apolutrosis means to liberate by the paying of a ransom in order to set a person free. It's not just buying something at the marketplace where it's still kind of under ownership. It's not buying out of the market where it still, again, remains under ownership. It's now buying so that that thing or person can be set free, liberated. That's what we've received in and through Jesus Christ, where we are free and he who is free is Free indeed. This is why Jesus came to this earth to redeem us, to, to buy us back from that possession of the enemy under the influence of sin. Jesus came to redeem us, buy us back, and now to set us free so that we could walk in newness of life in him. Worship team, would you come up? We're gonna just prepare our hearts here, but here's the thing. Though we get off free, Redemption costs something. It's a, that's the word redeem. It costs something. It costs the blood of Jesus. His blood is not something magical and mysterious as we've oftentimes, you know. I've been in prayer meetings where people are like pleading the blood of Jesus and I'm like, what is that all about? Are we gonna see blood coming down? What is that all about? And we, we tend to use this term sometimes in this kind of mysterious way, but when we talk about the blood of Jesus, it simply reveals that he, that, that he gave his life fully for us. His blood, his, his blood was shed so that ours wouldn't have to be shed. His life was given 
so that ours could be set free. And because Jesus did that, the very thing that was keeping us separated from God, which was our sins, the Bible says now, because of what Jesus did, redeeming us by his blood, you have now the forgiveness of sins. You're forgiven. They're, they're, they're washed away. Never to be held against you any longer. That's that idea. We've been delivered from this so that we can live this life now in and for Christ and walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. This is why He's delivered you, redeemed you. Not to make you a slave again, but to liberate you and to give you the fullness of life, the abundant life, the joyous life. This is what Paul is praying, all that you might just grow in these things and experience the blessing of God and walk in that satisfaction that we can attain to in and through him and only in him. It's not gonna be found in this world. It's not gonna be found in anything else. It's found in Jesus alone. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Let's thank him. Let's continue to pray this now, one for another. Let us be a church that experiences these things in our lives, lives it out, and encourages others to do so as we pray for one another. Let's stand together where we have the privilege of just coming to the Lord's table this morning, and we do so to remember the very thing that Jesus did in redeeming us by his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He's done this by his grace. This was a great work of mercy that he's done. We don't deserve this. We don't earn it, but we receive it gladly out of his mercy and grace for us. So if you're a believer in Jesus today, whether you go to this church or not, you're welcome to come and partake of communion. We're going to have our, our uh, team just hand it out as we continue to worship and just open your heart to these things. Let's let this word work through our heart and just pray that God would begin to reveal to us those things that we want to just get right with him that we want to be strengthened in. And as we do, let's give thanks for what Jesus has done to make us new, to give us life in him. Let's sing.